I saw it drop out from nowhere, drop from out of nowhere, out of the sky, out of the clouds it dropped. Wings back, talons raked forward. It hit David in the back of his head. Eagle feathers flew. David screamed in pain. And Tobias, yes, Tobias, said in private thought speak, Rachel, David is really getting to be a pain in the butt. <laughs> it's like, I love Tobias <laughs> so much. <laughs> Um, and David lets go of her. Um, she's hurt, but she doesn't think David knows how badly, and he doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to fight. He knows he can't win. He's mm-hmm. uh, smart enough to cut his losses for the moment uh, and tends to fly away. It's just like, Tobias, but you're supposed to be dead. I am? <laughs> Me? It's just like, Tobias, <laughs> you're a shit. <laughs> yes, good. Yeah. It's... Uh... <sighs> This moment, like... I can't imagine the relief, because yeah. as we talked about this uh, in the last episode, just like the advantage of knowing that there are more books coming, I can't imagine how good it would feel to read mm-hmm. that, thinking mm-hmm. that, Tob- no, with the working on the assumption that Tobias was dead, and for them, to him just to scream out of the night like that and save yeah. Rachel. It's just, yeah. oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> poetic cinema. Yeah, like I, I get chills reading it. Even now, like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, the comment I made is anyone else laughing and crying? Just me, because <laughs> like he comes in, and of course he comes in with a sarcastic comment. Like, ugh, so that's how we be. That's how we be, mm. my bird son. And uh, he explains that David had killed a hawk, and Jake had seen it. It just was a different one. Mm-hmm. Like red-tailed hawks are actually fairly common in that part of the world. They're yeah, they're common. All across the United States. Yeah. Um, and uh, David didn't know better. Yeah. But well, assumed he did. Yeah. David never considered Tobias a person long enough to realize what he looked like. Mm-hmm. Like, he never bothered. Like, I can... There were uh, two red tails that I worked with at the the rehabilitation center that I, that I volunteered at for a while. Um, one of whom is the bird I now have in my backyard. Um, but, uh, it like at first, sure. Like you couldn't necessarily tell the difference because you hadn't learned them, but it got to the point where like, I could glance at them because they, they shared a muse. They shared an enclosure. I could glance at the two of them sitting side by side and know exactly which one was which. Like, yeah, like it seems like the markings are going to be highly distinct from bird to bird. Yeah, like, like the, the, the p- coloring can feathers. be different, the marking, the size, just the posture even mm-hmm. will change because they have they have different personalities. Um, and it's just so it, it like it it is almost funny to me uh, reading this that like David probably saw just like a red tail circling the neighborhood. Because that's what red tails do, is they just ride the thermals and just do circles around a neighborhood. And it was like, ah, yes, Tobias. And then, like, just snatch this red tail out of the air mm. without even thinking about it. And yeah. it's like, yes, I have I have dealt this terrible blow to the Animorphs. And it's like, dude, what the fuck? Dude, you didn't do shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Tobias had just lost him. When tailing him, and has been looking ever since. Uh, we find out Jake has survived. Uh, Cassie managed to get a jab, a big syringe of adrenaline, 
um, was able enough to wake him up uh, mm-hmm. just as someone was scrubbing for surgery. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, but he, Demoff Human, calmly walked out of the zoo, had to wait a couple of hours for a bus. But, you know, uh, Cassie's <laughs> mum, of course, freaking out because the tiger has disappeared. Yep. It seemed to have reappeared back in the enclosure with no injuries. <laughs> Cassie explained she did a lot of shrugging and kept saying, I can't believe it either, Mom. I was only out of the room a second. <laughs> uh, but Axe is fine. There's a smoke alarm going off in my house. It's fine. Uh, Axe is fine. He's only been stunned. He demorphed, terrified somebody driving by, remorphed and came looking for Rachel. And uh, Marco had woken up to find David over him with a baseball bat uh, who had like just tied him up and locked him in the closet. It took him the rest of the night to get loose. Um, but he was fine. It was a bizarre night. And the most bizarre thing is they have to go to school the next day. Uh-huh. On zero hours sleep. And Rachel is like so tired. She's like vibrating out of her skin. Yep. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. She got home like three seconds before the alarm went off. And uh, five minutes later, like, her mom's banging on the door telling her to get up and get her sister ready for school. But Rachel's just in school, just like, uh, which is the biggest mood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we got the kids at school. Um, Just struggling. Mm-hmm. The most valid. Mm-hmm. I would love how, like, it's lunchtime. Rachel's sitting with Cassie, who'd probably gotten three, maybe four hours of sleep, and I hated her for it. <laughs> Isn't that just like the biggest, I have no sleep. I had no uh-huh. sleep mood. Yep. Just like, how dare you get three hours? <laughs> um, I mean, Cassie only got a little more sleep than Rachel did. But I, I, I get the unrational hatred oh, yes. of, like, in yes. that moment. But, uh, yeah. So, Jake... I don't know, Cassie went to bed at a normal time. Well, so did Rachel. But anyway, I suppose Rachel got woken up sooner. Mm-hmm. But not by much now, I think. You're right. When you're right, you're right. <laughs> when you're right, you're right. Still, like, the irrational, like, mm-hmm. she got three or four hours of sleep. I got, like, two and a half. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what I would do for that extra half hour. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> Uh, Jake also joins them. They don't normally sit together because uh, they don't want to be thought of as a clique. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now they didn't care because they're just. A, in Rachel's words, we're a very we were a very tired little group of superheroes. Um, and Jake's just like hi. <laughs> Cassie asks how he's doing. He's just like ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, well, this is perky. Obviously, we need a Starbucks here in this cafeteria. You two could use some coffee. Just like, stop talking. A <laughs> uh, bit of a snarl would snarl more, uh, but was too tired. She's like, and Cassie's just like, you're so grumpy when you lose a little sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and then uh, Marco heads towards them, but no tray, still smiling. Why not? He'd spent half the, he'd slept half the night and spent the rest of the night in a dark closet. And he sort of, uh, he swings his leg over the back of the chair and sits down, which immediately sets alarm bells ringing in Rachel's head because Marco doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. And Marco is never that perky, even when he's had a full night's of sleep. Mm-hmm. And Jake has had the exact sort of same reaction. Just like, he doesn't look sleepy anymore, like fully awake, mm-hmm. focused. Mm-hmm. And Jake and me is just like, David, I presume. 
and uh, quote Marco smiles and Rachel spots the actual Marco just starting through at the food line. Um, Rachel quickly clues her in and Cassie goes to stop the real Marco because they really don't want uh, two Marcos at the same table. Mm -hmm. Rachel distantly observes that there's probably a joke there, but she's too busy to think about it. Yep. And this face-off here is incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, there's there's another one later, but there's something about this one. Mm-hmm. Like, the way, and you mentioned this in our notes, about how everyone is so, like, the characterization here is incredible. Yeah. Jake is immediately like, what do you want? And Rachel's like, can't morph. But she just reaches for her fork. Yep. <laughs> And wonders uh, what uh, the teams of it would do if they were driven hard enough into, and she just holds on to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot, if enough force, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I once stabbed the back of my sister's hand with a fork. It was fine. There was no blood. <laughs> she was trying to steal my food. It was a thing. <laughs> you know, children, how children are. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm getting off point. Um, but David's here to lay out his demands, uh, which is he wants the Escafil device. And uh, Jake just smiles at that. He's just like, yeah, well, you think the odds are for me agreeing to that? And this is this pisses off David. He because we know he hates being mocked. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Jake is just like smiling is like clearly enough to. Rub David up the wrong way. It's like, you've got no choice, big man. You can't fight me. I have the same powers you have, and I'm smarter than you are, so I'll win. Um, and Jake says, there are six, I mean, five of us. And uh, Rachel and Jake exchange a look, like, there's no need to tell David that Tobias has survived. Uh, the less he knows, the better. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he could have said four, because David might have believed that Axe didn't survive either. Yeah. Um, but David's just like, I want the box. And Cassie, bless Cassie, mm-hmm. um, sits down, comes back to the table and sits next to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you highlighted this in our chat, but she pulls her chair closer to him without being obvious about it. And Rachel sees what it, the move for what it is. She wants to deal with her as a human being, not as an enemy. Mm-hmm. And David doesn't quite know how to deal with that. He leans back from Cassie and she's just giving like the big understanding face. Yeah. And talks to him compassionately. And quietly, so he has to lean in closer. Fucking power play. You love to see it. <laughs> and yeah. she's the one that says to him, You must know that you can't bargain with Visa 3. He won't give you what you want. And, um, and like Rachel's like, what the fuck? As <laughs> David's looking surprised at Cassie. And she's, Cassie's just like eating her lunch, like, yeah, shall I tell them, David, or do you want to? And just lays it out. The, mm-hmm. David wants the box so he can ransom his parents. Isn't that right, David? You want Vista 3 to release your parents so you can have a home again? And there's this brief moment of vulnerability. I love this. On the face, David had copied from Marco. It's just beautiful mm-hmm. little detail. And uh, his eyes harden. She's like, fine, I don't need the box. I have something else for the three ones. See, I know that the animals aren't Andalite bandits. I know their names. I know their addresses. I can give him you. 
And he, he says that looking at Jake and looking at Rachel. And then you know what? He can do to you like he did to my parents and he can get his blue box from you. And shoves the chair back and walks away. Yep. Uh, and then we get this incredibly potent small interaction. David walks away. The real Marco starts walking towards them. Rachel gets up. She's still holding on to the fork. Cassie asks what Rachel's doing. She puts a hand out to stop her. And Jake says, let her go. And Rachel follows David. Uh, they get out to the uh, quad, basically the, the outside portion of the school. Um, and she catches up with him as he starts to go across the grass. She grabs his shoulder, spins him around. Um, and she is fucking furious. Uh, and he says, uh, I'm just going to read this because this is important. You looking for a fight right here? He asked. Why not? I snapped. He laughed a little uncertainly. You would never morph here in the open. I don't need a morph to handle you. You know, maybe you forget sometimes, but you are a girl, Rachel. And you're a worm. I shot back. Want to see who wins that fight? Pretty upset over that bird boy, aren't you? What, did you like him or something? He grinned. That's it, isn't it? Aw, how sweet. Too bad. But you know, birds have a short lifespan. So do worms. What are you doing? Trying to scare me? Nah, I wouldn't want to scare you. I just want to tell you something. You rat us out to Visser 3? We'll know. We have sources inside the Yerk organization. He made a snorting noise. Yeah, right. How do you think we knew the Yerks were moving against the president and the others? How do you think we learned that one of these heads of state was a controller? David looked a little less cocky. I could see the wheels turning in his head as he realized I was telling the truth. We hadn't told David about Eric and the other Chi. So see, you sent us out to Visser 3, we'll know, I said. He shrugged. Big deal. Nothing you can do about it. Yeah, you're probably right, I said. Even if we were warned, we wouldn't last long. I leaned close, close enough to whisper in his ear. But some of us would last a while, you little creep, long enough to make sure that your parents... Well, use your imagination. He stepped back, drew back his fist, and swung on me. I dodged the blow. I grabbed his head with one arm and jammed the fork against his ear. I fought a nauseating urge to twist the fork to make him scream in pain. You want a war between you and us? That's one thing. We'll play that out, I said. But you try and sell us out to Visser 3, and your little family will never get put back together again. Never. This time, I was the one to turn and walk away. I was shaking. The muscles in my neck were twitching. Suddenly, I had a raging headache. My ears were ringing. I was exhausted, yes, but it was more than that. I was high on adrenaline, high on the rush of power and violence. What had I just done? In all the time we'd been fighting the Yerks, I'd never made a threat like that. What was the matter with me? I felt not exactly ashamed, but I knew I never wanted to talk to Cassie about what I'd just told David or Tobias, or even Marco. And as for Jake, I found myself filled with a terrifying surge of pure, utter hatred for him. I couldn't begin to explain it, but I swear at that moment I hated Jake far more than I did David. I should have gone back to the cafeteria. I should have told them all what had happened. But Jake already knew, didn't he? Jake, the smart, determined leader, already knew all about me. 
and I couldn't face him. I couldn't face what he knew about me. It's so much. It's so much. Oh my God. <sighs> These cousins, I swear to God. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Just... Jake knows exactly what she's going to do. Yeah. Like, maybe he doesn't know exactly what she'll say. But he knows that she's going to use whatever she can to threaten David. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe he even thinks that she's going to take care of David then and there. Like. Ugh. I just. I get real sad about Rachel. Yeah. Uh, and like, these are exactly the kind of threats that I can see, like, teenagers making to each other, right? Like, I'm sure that I have said mm. things similar to this, but like, I didn't have the power to back it up, right? There's a difference between making a threat when it's just an empty threat and you're mad. Yeah. And making a threat when you can like, make good on it. You can make good on it, right? Mhm. Mm and I love seeing David in this moment. One as the little slime ball that he fucking is. Yeah. Like and his outright. This is probably the the one really outright misogynistic line we get from him um yeah this like is the one thing he says out loud yeah but you know that isn't just like implicit in yeah. his actions but exactly but a, a directly yes uh i can't believe he thinks that he could take rachel on like what the fuck my dude <laughs> we know like are you just i think because he's tall because it's that he's described mm -hmm. as being like as tall as Jake, mm -hmm. um, and unfazed by Jake's size. Mm -hmm. So he's clearly not small, mm -hmm. and he's only—I suppose—he has only seen Rachel fight in morph. Yeah. So I can maybe understand up to a point his ignorance, but also this is somebody that thinks girls can't fight, right? And you got to wonder maybe if some of that's like. Given the way his mum doesn't actually factor into how he talked about his family very much mm -hmm. and like what we know his dad was, and you wonder how much of that is learned. Yeah. Yeah. And just like him taunting her. Yeah. Is so gross. Like. And the fact also we talked about this with, um, I think, with the Marco bug. Mm -hmm. He is insightful. Mm -hmm. Like he has accurately picked up on something. Mm -hmm. Um, and but again, it's this opportunity to be cruel. Mm -hmm. And I do like that Rachel isn't rising to the bait. Like mm -hmm. she is on. She's at the level she stays at. Yes. But yes. we've seen Rachel be like pissed off the handle, destructive. That's mm -hmm. not what this is. 
we, and we've talked about that. She's talked about that cold rage. Mm-hmm. And just, there is, it's such a good interaction. So compelling and upsetting. Mm-hmm. I do like the ease with which, like, he goes to swing it. She's just like, nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How's it feel to have your ass beat by a girl, David? Mm-hmm. Like, without even trying. Yeah. 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 And but, she, but- like, it's like, it's not like she's trained in fighting as a human. It's just yeah. like her experience fighting, period. Yeah. yeah. And her, like, awareness of her physicality. Mm hmm. But I think as as good as the stuff with David is in mm-hmm. this scene, it's that comment about hating Jake. Mm-hmm. And I love how it's like feels like a callback that time um where Jake was yelling at Rachel. Uh-huh. And how like you were saying, these cousins, man, but like they get angry at each other in a way that they can't allow themselves to get angry at themselves. Mm-hmm. Because it's just like I see in you something I don't like, mm-hmm. or you see something in me that I don't like, and you're making me confront it, and I yeah. hate that you're making me do that. Yeah, and it's it, it's fantastic. Like yeah. that in a children's book to read something like that is just so incredible to me. Yeah, and like this leads into the a moment we see later between the two of them, but like they both perfectly understand each other perfectly understand each other's motivations and the role that they are each performing Mm -hmm. and the particular necessities of those roles and like it is heartbreaking absolutely uh in just so many ways just like Rachel knows that Jake is using her and agrees with his decision to use her in this particular way. Like, huh. Um, that doesn't mean she doesn't hate him for it because at this yeah. point in this book, especially she's still wrestling with that. Like, what does it mean about who I am as a person that this is my role? That this is, this is who Jake sees me as. Like how you mentioned before. But we also know that Rachel knows that Jake knows his warriors. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, it's his job to know exactly who each one of us is and what we are capable of. And this is what he thinks I am. Yeah, because we've seen like Rachel's hurt before at like uh, when she was upset with Cassie. Mm hmm. And we know this is a sore spot for her. Mm hmm. And I think what's interesting, and I may have said a point similar to this before, is unlike Cassie being disappointed in it or not liking that about her, mm hmm. Because then Rachel could dislike that about herself too. Mm hmm. But instead, it's like, I acknowledge this part of you and we need this part of you mm-hmm. and I'm going to use this part of you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how dare you make me confront this? Yeah. I, 
Yeah, it's like somebody holding a mirror up to you, just like, yeah, you see this? I see it too. Now use it. Yeah. Because the fact that he accepts and acknowledges and wants to use it means that she has to deal with the fact that it's a part of her, mm-hmm. an unmistakable part of her. Yeah. And, she embr- and that she can embrace it. And that she has to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we talk about how all of the Animorphs are polarized into their roles. Um, or I talk about it and enforce that as my thesis about the Animorph series. And um, I nod in emphatic agreement. Uh-huh. Um, and, like, in in a lot of ways, like, everyone kind of passively reinforces that with each other. Um, or unconsciously reinforces that in each other. But, like, with Rachel, Jake specifically pushes her in that direction. It's not even, like, tacit encouragement. It's active encouragement. Yeah. And, like, sure, he does it because he sees it already in her. And, like, he's afraid for what that means about her. But, like, that doesn't mean that he isn't 1,000% ready to use it. But And it also becomes interesting when we know about Jake's feelings on responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I tell you to do this, it's my fault, not yours. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I told you to do it. And it absolves her, almost. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all know, like, oh, I'm just following orders is bullshit. Mm-hmm. But maybe in Jake's mind. Yes. Because he is the one to say, do it. Let her yeah. go. Get Rachel. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he is, like, or even just like he's putting himself with her and just like, yeah, I know this is about you. And I'm, I'm approving your choices. Yeah. I know neither of us like it, but I'm, it's what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of asking her to be a better person, he's asking her to be a worse person. For the sake of everybody else. Yeah, because if she's doing it, nobody else has to. Mm-hmm. And he recognizes that that is necessary for the health of the group. Just like she recognizes it. Mm-hmm. You know, in our children's literature. Yeah. You know, no big deal. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> uh... Uh, so, Rachel goes home um, and basically has an existential crisis until the rest of her family comes home and it's dark out. Um, <laughs> she's just like, it's exactly what she did. She goes, she goes home, staggers up to bed, falls down in the bed, doesn't fall asleep, is just like turning all of this stuff over and over and over again. Um, I kept wondering, had I always been like this back before the Animorphs, back before that encounter with a dying alien who changed our lives? Who had I been? I tried to remember, but it wasn't like I was thinking about myself. It was like I was remembering some girl I used to know. Like she was an acquaintance I'd forgotten about until someone reminded me. It was like, oh yeah, Rachel, I remember her. I'd been very into gymnastics. I knew that. Shopping. 
I guess I'd never exactly been a happy-go-lucky party girl, but I tried to imagine myself back then and tried to imagine grinding the tines of a fork into someone's ear while I threatened his family. I almost laughed. It was crazy. I mean, I'm not someone raised in an abusive family or anything. Yeah, my folks got divorced, but probably a third of the kids in school have divorced parents, and another third wish their parents would divorce. I'd never had to wonder if my parents loved me. I knew they did. They told me, and they showed me. I wasn't on drugs or anything, but somehow, some way, I had gone from being this occasionally sharp-tongued girl to being, well, as Marco would say, Xena Warrior Princess. What made me feel stupid was that I hadn't realized I was changing, but everyone else obviously did. Jake did. When he knew it was coming down to kill or be killed with David, he'd sent Axe to get me. Not Marco. Not Cassie. Get Rachel. And in the cafeteria, he'd let me go, knowing what I would do. Afterward, I'd seen Cassie in six period. She didn't ask me what had happened. She didn't ask me what I'd said to David. She'd known. I could have said, look at all the battles I've been through. It would have been a good excuse. Except that Cassie'd gone through the same battles. And Marco. And Tobias. Would Tobias have done what I did? That was the killer question, see. Because Tobias lived life as a predator now. He'd have every excuse in the world but I wondered if even he would have gone as far as I'd gone. And I wondered something else. What if David ignored my threat? Would I? Could I? Uh, and then the phone rings for Rachel, but I want to go into this because there are a couple things here that we didn't just hash out at ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Like, one... The I like the acknowledgement here from the authors that, like, you don't have to have a bad life in order to be or become a violent person. Yeah. And, like, I like this comparison that she has to, like, who she was before because it speaks a lot to these kind of traumatic life-changing experiences where you know you will hear survivors of any variety of traumatic events will talk about before and after yeah um and this really uh drives into that um and lastly that she looks to Tobias to check where her humanity is. Mm. The two of them together are each other's tie to humanity. Shit. Mm. Uh, uh-huh. And it's just like, she looks to him to see whether she has gone too far because mm. she knows that Tobias is in a lot of ways, a practical minded kind of person, mm. partly because of who he has become, but also that, you know, he is a kind person. And so yeah. like, if she would do something that she's ashamed to tell Tobias about, it's probably bad. It's probably bad. <laughs> yeah, like I like that point of reference. Like, because Tobias 
has to actively choose the human thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, which is particularly interesting given my accidental reading of book 23 this morning. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. Um, but yeah, what that means to act, and, and it's something like I like to talk about, like choosing kindness, choosing compassion, mm-hmm. and things like that. And the way the two of them use that, that tether is, is just very interesting. Mm-hmm. Good. Something I kind of want to draw a point. I don't even know how I feel about it, but I want to like just, excuse me, draw attention to mm-hmm. is, and we've seen this before, the moralizing around violence. Mm-hmm. Because this is a war mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And like, as somebody that can get very angry and sometimes thinks about violent things, the nature of intrusive thoughts, and they are what they are. Mm-hmm. But it's the way, well, like we saw with earlier books with Cassie quantifying predator is bad, prey equals good. Right. And whether Rachel is a bad person because she is willing to do violence. Mm-hmm. And what the way the text, either from her perspective or other people's, if willingness to do those things makes her a bad person. Mm-hmm. And how we justified ourselves. Um, my un- my sort of casual take at this point is like she's aware of what she's doing. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do it lightly. There may be sort mm-hmm. of in the moment there might be like we see how much these choices are tearing her up inside. Mm-hmm. A bad person wouldn't do that, right? We have David flying around doing violence. Like that's the whole point of this trilogy is we've seen yeah. the compar- the active comparisons mm-hmm. between their approaches. Mm-hmm. I think it becomes really interesting for Rachel in this moment because if she was confronting her need to do violence and it wasn't like a kid their age who was doing violence on them, mm-hmm. whether she would feel so disgusted by her own capacity for violence. Because mm-hmm. right now her frame of violence is what David is doing. Yeah, and she doesn't want to be like David mm-hmm. because David is scum. Yeah, but what makes David so bad, for want of a better word, is the way he does violence, mm-hmm. and that, as we were saying earlier, that desire to be cruel, yeah, to exert power. Mm-hmm. When we see Rachel fighting, it's not just like because she wants to be better. Or she wants to make other people feel small. Mm-hmm. She fights with a purpose. Most yeah. of the time, it's protection for mm-hmm. other people. And it makes me really sad for her that she's in this headspace of, I'm a bad person because, or am I a bad person because I can do these things? Yeah. And like we see, even between these two chapters, how distorted her view is because in the chapter before this we see that she resists the urge to grind the fork against his ear to make him scream in pain she calls that urge nauseating right she recognizes that that crosses the line from like doing violence defending yourself defending the people around you 
even at even because making a threat can be a defense um and and sadism right she's not here Mm -hmm. to like we hear her talking about how she wants to make david pay but she wants to make david pay she wants to kill david she doesn't want to torture david right uh and like she doesn't she doesn't really stoop to the lengths that david like david mocks her he baits her he taunts and uh talks down to her where she she makes an open threat right you know she's yeah, those not are very different things right like she's not here to to stoop to his level we see her actively not stooping to his level every time she interacts with him but when we see in this chapter she says specifically she tries to reconcile the image of herself before with the image of herself grinding the tines of a fork into david's ear but she didn't didn't actually do that but she thinks that thinking about it and feeling the urge to do it is the same same. thing Mm -hmm. and i think that in I think that analyzing these books, you can easily take that away from it. And it's just like, you can, you can see it if you look at, if you look for it. Sure. Um, but I think one of the gravest disservices that the authors do in the series is to Rachel and turning her into the quote unquote crazy person who just wants to do violence. When that's not, like, we hear other people talk about her like that, but that's not what we see her doing. Yeah. Like, we see her be an adrenaline junkie. We see her be, uh, like, get high on the excitement of battle, because ain't nothing a match for adrenaline, frankly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, but it, and it's like people that do like MMA and things yeah. like that. Like endorphins are a real thing. <laughs> yeah. Um but like there's there is such a huge gap between that and oh, she could never go back to normal life because mm. she enjoys this too much. Like and I, I get that they're trying to do this narrative of, you know, war changes people. You can't go back to who you were before. But, like, even if you want to. And also, right. like, the fact that this is all happening when they're 13 year olds and the notion of, like, becoming, like, be- going through puberty, becoming an yeah. adult in the eyes yeah. of the law. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. maturing. And, yeah, no, like, having that extreme swing Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm gonna get very frustrated uh with that aspect of things as we go along do they ever manage do they manage to pull it back at all or at least by the time Uh, we get to the end or do they at least take like a swerve at the end to somewhere interesting so a lot of the ghost written books go like like you said flanderization they come Mm. back to this space okay 
if that makes sense. Yes. Um, in terms of, of her characterization. Um, which still isn't great because you, you do get a lot of that. Like, And it's one thing to say that you can't be the same person after war as before because war changes people. Mm. But that doesn't mean you can't reintegrate into society. Oh, yeah. No, I like, agree. Maybe you will need help. Maybe you'll need a lot of fucking help because yeah, PTSD. Um, mm. But like, you just because you in, you enjoy a war or enjoy the things, some of the things that you are doing, or feeling a sense of fulfillment from it, yeah, doesn't necessarily mean that you cannot reintegrate into society yeah. after. Like you can be a different person, but you can you can still be a changed person, but that you don't stop being a person. Yes. And I think that these books in in the overarching narrative that they tell mm. lean much too far into the like, oh, Rachel, Rachel. could never go mm -hmm. back to society. Like she could never go back mm -hmm. to a world in which she is not fighting. And it's and like, mm. to play uh, advocate, I guess, I can see why maybe from the perspective of a child, mm -hmm. you might have that mm -hmm. because it's like, this is your friend and you've seen them do this. How are they ever yeah. going to be the same again? Yeah. But it's not a great look to have that come across as the writer's take yeah. on it. Yeah. Like, I can definitely understand why the characters would feel that way. Absolutely. But I think. I think the narrative treats her that way. And sure. I think it's a it's it's bad. Um pretty pretty unequivocally in terms of how they treated her characterization. Um like I I love a lot of the things that we struggle with and fight with with her. Um and I think that a lot of her story is story that is worth exploring in terms of like someone who does enjoy the excitement of it all you know enjoys feeling needed and powerful and uh like that they are contributing and defending their friends and all of that um i'm having fears about the end of the book series again <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Uh, I'm yeah. side-eyeing you, Daniel, and I, <laughs> I will never voice my thoughts out loud because I don't want you to be in a position to have to react to them and risk <laughs> giving anything away. Your nervous laughs and pained sounds are far enough. Yeah. So, yeah. The end of the series is just, like, there's a reason we say these book series traumatized us, and it's not just because of books one through 53. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, book 54 um, has a lot to answer for. Book 54 has a lot to answer for. So much so that when they published the book, K.A. wrote, like, they, she put a letter in the back of it, like, addressing mm. the fans that were upset. Yeah. <laughs> because of what happened. Because I do, th I do think they do do justice to this war narrative in the sense that, like, it's not... It's not American military propaganda in the yeah. way that every other 
fucking cop or military movie in the United States is made, right? Yeah. Like, they deal with the darker sides of these things, and they don't shy away from it. And do I think that they lean too hard in some of these, into some of these stereotypes? Yes. Do I think that uh, having to work on the extended schedule that they worked on and needing ghostwriters really hurt things? Yes. Do I think that the fact that they had to make 54 books <laughs> was a problem? Yes. Um, because, like, there are filler books because, like, they had some fun ideas but they started running out of ideas for like sure. what to make these episodic books about. Um, so, you know, they're the way that they treat the war in general, I think is good. Net positive. Net positive. Yes. Thank you. Um, no worries. Uh, but I think how they treat Rachel specifically is probably net negative. Sure. There's a lot of good here, but I think that at the end of the day, she's done a grave disservice. Um, in, in just everything that they and the ghostwriters do with her. Um, it makes me sad knowing that that's true of Cassie as well for different reasons. And yeah, I'm just like, oh why God. did you have to drop the ball on the two girls? Yeah. So much. Yeah. Honestly. Really? Yeah. Like, they, their stories are done much greater disservices than any of the others. Like, Axe and Tobias get a little bit less just because they have fewer books. Sure. Um. Like, Jake and Marco are fully fleshed out, and, like, you can, like, I really appreciate the, the full arc of their characters. Um, but, like, Cassie and Rachel, especially in the, you know, 20 or so books that we're coming up on, are just, it, eh, it's bad. It's bad. I think, I think what. The frustrating thing is when you love so much about a book series or a film series or any mm -hmm. kind of franchise, it's like the higher the highs, when they mm -hmm. disappoint you, it's so much worse. Yeah. It's just like you are you were meant to be better than that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, feeling let down in certain elements feels like much more of a letdown yeah. because what they get right, they get so right, mm -hmm. which makes like the instant of like all the casual like sanism mm -hmm. and the poorly handled racist stuff or race related things that mm -hmm. just ends up coming across like casually racist even if that wasn't the intent mm -hmm. and it's like it's frustrating yeah 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 and people are flawed and society at the time is also flawed but like we could have had it all <laughs> Rolling in the deep. <laughs> uh, should we get back to the main plot? We should get back to the main plot. Uh, so Jake's on the phone. Yep. Um, and uh, it's just like, yo, the extra credit project we're working on, it's time for us to give it another shot. Um, and I just like, oh, yep, okay, got to do that. And the realization that it was 
24 hours ago. Mm-hmm. You tired yet? I feel tired reading this, you know? Yep. Um, but um, Rachel gets ready to, to head out, like, tries to get herself together a little bit and has to come up with an excuse to why she's going to Cassie's. And I'm just like, okay, I need you to watch Sarah because I'm going over to the hospital to be with Sadler's uh, mm-hmm. mom and dad. And she's about to go, fine. Um, uh, it, <laughs> and that sure beats trying to bust into some heavily guarded compound and getting her brains beat in. But that wouldn't do. <laughs> so you want me to babysit for Sarah and Jordan? And Jordan, she said, no one babysits me. And I, re- this is just some beautifully savvy sibling shit. Oh, yeah. Just like, oh, yes, I will make my younger sibling cover this. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It's, mm-hmm. And it's so good. Uh, like, and Rachel just teasing Jordan just enough mm-hmm. uh, and egging Jordan on. And she's like, yeah, I'm old enough to look after Sarah. Mm-hmm. And clearly uh, her mom's not going to argue when she has to get to the hospital. Just like, okay, fine. Yep. Uh, this is yep. easier. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Rachel uses the moment to uh, head to Cassie's. <laughs> so I love when she gets there. Axe Tobias, Jake, Cassie, and Marco. Um, and at least I assumed it was Marco and not David and Morph. And she lands and says, "Marco, you know you're a toad. Kiss me and I'll become a prince." He said without hesitation, "I'll be the prince formerly known as Toad. You know you want me. You can't help it. After all, you're a female and I'm well, I'm me." Yeah, that's the real Marco. I said dryly. <laughs> Cassie's like, every single one of us did the same thing. <laughs> and I answered that it wasn't bad. I asked him about the time we morphed trout. And I answered it wasn't bad, except that the cracker crumb coating chafed a little and I was allergic to tartar sauce. Now, can we all stop playing that game? I'm afraid I'll miss a punchline and Rachel will morph into Grizzly and eat me before I have a chance to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, just perfect. Perfection. Yes. We love to see it. <laughs> Uh, I also, part of me would kill to have a little insight into Marco's head right now, though. Mm-hmm, because, mm-hmm. like, David stole his face. Yeah. And he is the most paranoid of the group. Yeah. Stole his Just, face to threaten his friends. Mm-hmm. And, like, that means he was in his house, had access to his dad. Mm-hmm. Like... I would just yeah. I would love to know. I would love mm-hmm. to know. Yeah. Um But uh Jake is uh down to business and uh he gives Axe a look and uh Axe private thought speaks to Rachel. Mm-hmm. Uh the Jake's under the assumption they're they're all operating under the assumption that David might be there listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so the plan that they're going to talk about out loud is not the one that they're going to actually be doing, mm-hmm. which is just, this is good shit. It's, it's so good. <laughs> um, uh. yeah, it, enough differences to their last time, uh, but it's basically the same structure. Um, but it's not until they've morphed and are flying away that Rachel, uh, that Jake re- reveals the real plan. And Rachel's just like, oh, Rachel's going to love this. He was right. The plan was outrageous, insane, out of control, and violent. And heaven help me, I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> they say, this is what we'd like to call chaos. 
is what is coming. <laughs> Destructive. This would be rolling one's rec score in, uh, yeah. I feel, a mm -hmm. Forged in the Dark system. This is not a fighting thing. This is a let's wreck shit. Yes. And it's incredible. Yeah. It is. I think I've mentioned before, but sometimes the Animorphs are just at their best when they kick down the door and go for unsubtle. Like, mm -hmm. there's they, a time they... and a place for subtle. <laughs> and sometimes there is a plan for not that. Yep. I love, I love Rachel's uh, comparison uh, that they had tried the subtle approach, we'd walked into a trap. Now Jake was ready for the less than subtle approach. This would be like when you're in a chess game and you know you're going to lose, so you grab the board and throw it across the room. That was the plan. <laughs> <laughs> first they start they stop by the gardens and then they all fly out as seagulls um yeah uh, it's said that they needed big morphs or morphs that could make a big mess and could handle getting shot yes uh because rachel already has an elephant and jake has a rhino mm -hmm. so uh a huge storm is actively happening with lightning and thunder um and it's raining uh and tobias is like we're not gonna make any headway in this shit um time to swim time to swim so they land in the water and morph um, poor tobias like he has to go yeah. into like that sucks i am so sorry tobias uh-huh yeah um it's the way that they do it is um at first they all land and they're like, all right, this is going to fucking suck. How do we do this? Because the waves are like 20 feet high. Mm. Um, and Cassie's like, all right, I'm going to go first because I morph the fastest. Uh, and we'll be able it to made help sense. The Cassie was the best at morphing. Jake was using her for her special talent. Like he used Marco for his suspicious mind. Like he used Axe for his knowledge of all things alien. Like he used Tobias for his raptor eyes and ears. Like he used me for what? For my recklessness, for something dark that lived inside me, you know, just in case you'd forgotten that Rachel's having an existential crisis the entire time. Mm -hmm. uh, but Cassie demorphs, uh, and they Rachel hears a yelp, um, and can see all just a human hand above water. She cries out, um, and is like, "Jake, she's drowning. What are we gonna do?" Um, and Jake's like, don't worry, she's gonna, she'll pull it out, it'll be fine. Uh, Rachel won't take that as an answer and begins to demorph. Just doing it quietly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, uh, it goes poorly, uh, because mm -hmm. a wave crashes down on her. She can't figure out which way is up, can't get back to the surface, um, and is, trying to morph but not really getting very far um and then cassie uh appears as a dolphin under her and picks her back up to the surface just like you're going the wrong way <laughs> yeah um and we have this good moment of her like mm -hmm. hugging cassie's mm -hmm. back yeah um and cassie supports her while she morphs and then they go and support everyone else. Tobias goes last because he had to pass through a red tail phase so they all work to keep him above water. <laughs> it's just like water, see, this is what happens. Water is always trouble. Up in the air you can at least see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And yet all the worry I've, I just act just like, because they're in dolphin. Mm -hmm. 
and dolphin brain. And just like Mark is like, dolphin brain. <laughs> mm. And this, for a moment, it's great. Like, they're a pot of dolphins swimming easily through the storm, like hopping out of the water, crashing through waves. And it's great. Uh, the wind makes you jump further. Thunder's just a noise. Mm-hmm. And lightning pr- looks pretty dope when you're underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're having a pretty decent time. They see they see a submarine offshore. Um, I think they see like a dark shape go through the water. They also see a small rugged island about a mile off. Um, a jumble of rocks, which will be important much later. Um, and they are powering into the shore. Um, and get up into very shallow water. Um, and once they're basically scraping the, the bottom of the seafloor, um, they demorph. Uh, it's still hard to keep their heads above water because the waves are still awful. Um, and then they all begin to morph, uh, their very large morphs. Uh, and we get this reminder of how exhausted they are and how repeated mm-hmm. morphing takes it out of you. Especially on no sleep. Yeah. Uh, Jake is in rhino morph. Marco's also a rhino. Cassie, Tobias, Axe, and Rachel are all elephants. Uh, and <laughs> they all just run the fuck into the Marriott <laughs> Resort to yep. just tear everything apart. Uh-huh. The sweet simplicity of it all seemed like pure genius to me. Uh, and so they they just run in and they tear the shit the fuck up. They wreck it. Uh, I forgot about the real that fucking moment. Is it Marco who sees him, the Russian prime minister? Yeah, it's it's Marco and Rachel. Like they <laughs> they burst into one of these bungalows, um, and. Uh, Jake's like, okay, we have to assume that everyone's a, a human, so don't try not to hurt the humans, just wreck shit. Um, Marco and Rachel uh, charge into one particular bungalow um, through a wall. Uh, and <laughs> bl- I shoved at the hole I'd made and found myself blinking in the bright light, blinking and staring at Marco and at the man sitting in an easy chair wearing a tuxedo shirt, a tie, black socks, and glossy black shoes. His tux coat and pants were draped over a chair. He had a somewhat familiar face, the leader of a great power. He was sitting in his jockey shorts and calmly pouring a glass from a bottle of clear liquor. liquor. (laughs) Then he glared belligerently at me and Marco. Now, I'm not going to say who this man was or what nation he headed, but he was drunk. Drunk, but no coward. He just sat there in his underwear, glaring at us and defying us. What do we do? Marco asked me. I guess we go tear up someone else's bungalow, I suggested. Suddenly, about 12 security guys came bursting into the room, guns drawn. (laughs) Not just handguns, either. These guys had automatic weapons on us. But the man in the chair said something loud and curt in a foreign language. No one fired. The man in the chair made a sort of after-you sweep with one hand, indicating that maybe Marco and I should leave. So we did. We went out through another wall and dragged half the roof down with us, but we left. Behind us, I heard a loud roar of delighted laughter, like we'd really made the old guy stay. Fucking incredible. I love it so much. I'm pretty sure this is meant to be Yeltsin. the Yeltsin, the, the Russian president at the time. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I mean, if you didn't get it from foreign and drinking vodka, yeah, you know, yeah. But uh, also, I believe Yeltsin was known to be a lush. So, <laughs> uh, still the visual. I just love <laughs> the stone cold ballerness of just being a very powerful person, just chilling, half dressed, <laughs> drinking my fa- my beverage of choice, and just fucking an elephant and a rhino smash through the wall, and just like. Well, this might as well happen. <laughs> it's very much a, I didn't want to be at this conference anyway. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> it's just, I just love, there's so much heavy shit in this book. Uh-huh. And just like this fucking spotlight of like ridiculousness is just yeah. the best kind of brain palette. It, it really is. <laughs> Um, uh, they go back to destroying yeah, cause, everything because the idea is if they completely trash the place then Vista 3's banquet isn't going to happen Yeah, they're going to have to cancel it and so they don't need to worry about any more world leaders getting yucked because the, the site will have been compromised yeah. simple mm-hmm. uh, they yeah eventually like the guards finish mustering and start firing guns at them um rachel gets hit in the head with four bullets uh and uh there's there's a reason why people i say people scum when they're hunting big game have to use a very specific kind of ammunition Mm -hmm. like handguns even like aren't gonna do much to something with that thicker hide and layers of fat and muscle Mm -hmm. so Yep. Uh, a helicopter has arrived. Um, reinforcements are coming in. Um, there's a fucking, we get a literal machine gun. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, and Jake calls for the retreat. Um, and they all kind of stagger back to the waves. Um, they, they all make it, even though it is a little uh, hairy there for a bit with the, all the guns. I do like we have this moment one after Marco's done bitching about not even getting to see the president. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Tony appears, the protocol mm-hmm. chief, which we know had been the, was a morph acquired by Vista Three, and uh, Rachel is ready to charge on Vista Three and gets a good one-liner. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess we can assume the banquet has been cancelled, Vista. Now let's see how fast you can run. But a uh, strong skull or not, like four rapid shots to the head. Mm-hmm. It's going to have your bell ringing. And um, Rachel's in worse shape than she realized. Um, and we get like some Vista 3 posturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, yeah, we don't have time for pleasantries. Um, so uh, retreat is had. They get to the water, um, getting into demorphing, and then going back into. Uh, we just have this exchange just sort of like how, how is anyone ever going to explain what happened at that summit and just like it's just very good 